Well, I want to welcome all of you as we continue in our series, Revelation, the Apocalypse. Are you ready? All right. I want to welcome 111, and I also want to welcome the people all around the world, including Brussels, Belgium. I found out people there are joining us for uh, this series as well. So it's great to have a global community. That's what heaven's supposed to be like. Amen? All right. Uh, I want to just tell you about an experience I had this past week while I was in Brussels. One of our uh, missionaries there was sharing with me that he and his wife felt called by God to actually plant a church reaching out to Iranians who happened to live in Brussels, which is a very international city. And uh, he said to me, you know, it wasn't really uh, a lot of work to go and find these people. He said, they came in search of us. And then he shared with me that a large uh, percentage of their uh, Iranian church is made up of Iranians who have had God visit them in dreams. That Jesus has actually come to them and presented them with himself as, and this is what they all have in common, though they have different dreams, as the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, I tell you what, it, uh, it, it made the, well, I guess I'll say the hair on my head stand up. That'd be pretty hard. It, it, uh, it excited me. You know, it gave you those kinds of chills that you feel because we're hearing about this happening in other places uh, in the Muslim world as well. And it reminded me of a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts that comes out of uh, the prophet Joel says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, of course, the question is, are we in those last days? And that's why we're in this series, because there's so many questions about, you know, are these the final days? And while I don't know if it's 2012 or, or 3012, what I, what I do know is that something is taking place in our world right now. So uh, let's go back to Revelation. If you haven't turned your Bibles open to that book, please do so. Last book of the Bible, not hard to find. And uh, you can use the Bible provided for you uh, here at Hobson in the, in the back of the uh, chairs there. Or at 111, I'm sure uh, Pastor Rich will tell you, uh, you know, how you can get a hold of a Bible. If you need a Bible and don't have one, always let us know. We would be happy to get you one. Revelation chapter 4, and uh, let's, just, let's just have a word of prayer. Just place your hand right on that chapter, and let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts through your word. Our hand touches the word of God, and we ask for a divine connection to your Holy Spirit and to your truth this weekend. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so if, if you have your navigator, you got the notes section, if you have some paper, whatever you want to do, it's now... Uh, draw with Dale time, all right? So uh, make sure you, you grab your stuff, all right? Let's do that together. And uh, I want to, I actually want to draw out with you uh, Revelation chapter 4 and part of Revelation chapter 5. We're going to draw the scene because I think it'll make a whole lot more sense when you read it later on. And I want to start with 
with you have, uh, drawing a throne, all right? So just kind of make your own throne, all right? And then uh, on the throne, I'm going to put in large capital letter F, is the Father. John is called up to heaven. Come up, it says, as Revelation chapter uh, 4 begins. And suddenly he's in the Spirit, and uh, uh, he sees the throne with the Father sitting on it. Now draw two circles around the throne, and you're going to see I'm a horrible circle drawer. All right, so just get over it right now, okay? Two circles around the throne that represent, circle one, circle two, that represent the, the brilliant colors that are talked about in Revelation chapter 4, the gemstone colors, the sea that's like glass, the thunder and the lightning, all uh, going on around the throne. And then draw a, a third circle around the throne, and the third circle... Uh, represents that emerald rainbow that surrounds the throne. Uh, you, you know, as you read Revelation 4, if you've read it already, we'll read it later, it's just hard to fathom in your mind how, how grand and how beautiful this scene must be. Then I want you to draw a, a fourth circle, all right? And that fourth circle looks like a lopsided bullseye again. I'm not a circle drawer. I didn't get my degree in that. Uh, this represents the four living creatures that are before the throne of God. And one of the creatures looks like a lion or is like a lion. Another of the uh, creatures has a human face. The third uh, creature is like an ox. And the fourth creature is like an eagle that is in flight. All right? Then draw a, a fifth circle out here. And this fifth circle represents the 24 elders. All right, I'm not going to put 24 E's, but you get the picture, right? 24 elders who surround the throne and are praising and worshiping God. Draw a sixth circle, all right, around here. And in the sixth circle, you can just put a whole bunch of the letter A's because these are all the angels that are also worshiping and praising God together. And then finally, draw a seventh circle around the throne. And the seventh circle, put in there creatures of the universe, all right? These are all the creatures in the universe that are also worshiping God in this scene that we find in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now, right before the throne, it says, are seven torches, all right, uh, representing the sevenfold ministry. And you can just put whatever kind of candelabra or torch you want to, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that stands there before the throne. Now, here's the secret, all right, to understanding the book of Revelation. You cannot stand and look at the book of Revelation like this, all right, pardon my back, all right, you can't have it like this, trying to understand it and figure it out. Or you'll get lost in all the details, because it already looked confusing up there. If you really want to understand the book of Revelation, what you have to do is you have to step back from it and see the big picture. What is the big picture saying to you? And it's pretty obvious when you look at this, man, that's a bad circle. Anyway, uh, when you look at this, the big picture is that God is over all. God is in charge of the universe. Satan is not in charge of the universe. Man is not in charge of the universe. 
America's not in charge of the world. Iran is not in charge of the world. China's not in charge of the world. Russia's not in charge of the world. Man has nothing to do with it. Ultimately, God is in charge of his universe. That's good news, isn't it? God is in control of everything that's going on. That's the big message that you've got to walk away from. That's what we can do. We can walk away from Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, and go, yes, what it's saying is that God is in charge. Now, with that in mind, you can go back in and say, well, what do some of these things mean here in this diagram? What, what can we gather from that? Let's just take a kind of a quick peek at that. First of all, it's obvious the throne has the Father on it. And remember, God, God cannot be put in an image. That's why he told Israel, don't make any uh, graven images for me. Because God is spirit. He fills up space and space cannot contain him. Can you imagine that? But in order to communicate to John, God allows there to be some form, some presence on that throne that John recognizes. But notice, John doesn't try to contain that form. These circles around here, the colors, the lightning, the thunder, the sea of glass, all speak of the majesty and the holiness and the brilliance of God himself that cannot be contained, that cannot be understood except to speak about it in such radiating forms, such radiating colors. Our God is a majestic, awesome God. That's why creation is so beautiful. It's just a mere, mere reflection of his grand beauty itself. The seven torches speak of the Holy Spirit, his sevenfold ministry in the work of God here on earth and in the universe. The living creatures, all right? What's that all about? That's a little harder, but we believe that the living creatures are the highest order of God's angelic beings. See, well, why are they described the way they are? Well, the lion probably speaks of their strength, the human face of their intellect, the ox. The ox was a domesticated animal used for service, so it speaks of their serving, and the eagle in flight speaks of their swiftness. So, they have strength. They have intellect. They serve God. They are swift to fulfill God's will and to protect God's holiness. Now you get out here to these 24 elders. Who are the 24 elders? We're not sure. Some people say that they're the 12 tribes of Israel and that they are the 12 apostles. Other people say they represent the priestly service. Others say they're angelic beings. Honestly, I, I'm not sure what they are. Maybe we'll find out when we get to heaven, all right? But that's okay. We, we don't have to know because we already know what the big truth is. God is in charge, right? And so we can speculate about them, but we're not sure. The angels, that's pretty obvious. These are the angels in heaven uh, that stand before God and worship him. And all the creatures of the universe remind us that that all of God's creation is supposed to worship him. It's supposed to honor and glorify him. Now, here's the big deal. Look at this picture and realize that everybody's focus, every creature's focus, every angel's focus, all the elders' focus, all the living beings' focus, all the focus is where? All the focus is on the Father on the throne. All the direction is toward God. So that when you come back to Revelation chapter 4, look what it says the creation is doing. Look what it says these beings are doing. Day and night, it says, they keep on saying, holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. If you come down to verse 11, it says that the elders cast down their crowns and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. And you know, when you step back from that and you listen to it, it just reminds you, at least it reminds me, of how all of heaven is involved in the continual worship of the living God. Amen? Now here's my, here's my question. If all of heaven recognizes the majesty of God and worships him, why isn't the church of Jesus Christ more engaged in the worship of its, of its God? Why not? I mean, it, it seems like all we worship these days is success and materialism and pleasure or our troubles because it seems to be all we talk about. We're either talking about our success or we're talking about our problems. And, and if you just hear that all the time, it says, well, that's what you must be worshiping. Think about it. Jesus died on the cross for us, not for angelic beings. We were created in his image and likeness, not the angelic beings. It is God who wants to reside in us through his Holy Spirit, not in angelic beings. So, so we should worship God. He's done so much for us. Amen? And we tend to focus so often on what's missing in our lives, what we don't have in our lives. Listen, if you're a believer, stop thinking about what you don't have of the world in your life and be thankful for what God has given you. I was reminded in Revelation chapter 1 as we went to that chapter. And I've been telling myself this almost every week, almost every day. Not every day, but nearly every day. That I am loved. Say it with me. I am loved. I am loved. 111. You say it too. Ready? Let's do it together. I am loved. Say this. I am forgiven. Now say this. I am a priest for God. Does it get any better than that? It doesn't. So maybe, maybe we need to cast down our pride and cast down our worries and cast down our fears and say, Oh God, forgive me for being so focused on the wrong things. I want to know you. I want to worship you with my whole being, with my whole soul. I want to be completely surrendered to you. And then all of a sudden in chapter 5, a mighty angel appears to John. And the mighty angel refers to a scroll that is in the right hand of the one on the throne, the Father. And the angel calls out, and the angel says, Who is worthy to take the scroll from the hand and to break its seals and open it? For there were seven seals on that scroll. And suddenly there was absolute silence in heaven. Not a person spoke. Not a being or an angel or creature moved. And John. John begins to weep. And it says that he wept bitterly. And he really crying. Why is John crying so much? He's crying because there's nobody there to take that scroll and open it, to break its seals and open it. You see, that scroll is like the deed. It's like the deed to the earth. 
And John is waiting and wondering who's going to come and claim that deed and, and, and take care of business here on earth because right now the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. And, you know, in John's day, Satan just seemed to be having the time of his life. He was using the Roman Empire to crush Christians. And under the emperor Domitian, Christians were being persecuted right and left. They were being put to death. And John must have wondered to himself, is there any hope for the church? Is there any hope for the believer? Is God going to intervene? Can anybody take the deed? And can anybody fulfill God's will for history in the world? Throughout history, we have seen God's people, the church, pressed to the wall. Suffering, being persecuted in many countries. And in the end times, the one thing the Bible makes clear in the Gospels, in the book of Revelation, ever so clear is that under the tyranny of the Antichrist, believers are going to be persecuted. Israel, the Jews, are going to be persecuted to a point that it seems like there is absolutely no hope anymore. But you and I have been given insight into the future. You and I have been given the insight to know that when it seems like it's at its worst, God is going to intervene. And you need to remember that. You need to remember that. You need to teach it to your children and your grandchildren. Because I don't know exactly the days that we're living in. I don't know how much worse it's going to get before you go home or the Lord returns. But we very well could be facing times when being a Christian becomes extremely unpopular. To the point that we may be facing different kinds of persecution here in our own country. And you can't get scared. You can't run. You can't compromise. You can't give in. You've got to look beyond all of that and know that God is in charge. God knows what he's doing. And John is weeping. Who, who's going to take over? And then one of 24 elders says... Look! And all of a sudden, heaven's eyes, all those creatures' eyes, they look and they see one like the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's referring to who? It's referring to Jesus Christ. And Jesus approaches the throne. And everybody's eyes is on him as he approaches the throne. And he takes the scroll. Let's look at what it says together in chapter 5. Verse 6. says, Then I saw a lamb. Well, let, let's actually, let, let me start it in verse 4. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders. You know that picture of standing is is the idea of preparation to take action. He's called the Lamb of God because he was sacrificed for the sins of the world. He's now being referred to as the lion because he has conquered sin on our behalf. It says he has seven horns, and in the Bible, horns always speaks of strength, perfect strength, the letter number seven. 
And seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. This means that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are one together in carrying out the will of God. It says he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And it says, they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you are slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And you know what? This weekend, I want us to get in on the worship. And so I'm going to ask you here in 111 right now, would you please stand with me? And let's read the very words that were spoken in this vision as they appear here before us. Verse 12 and verse 13. Would you read it aloud with me, please? Both 111 hops in. Here we go. Ready? Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Do you know that someday, someday we will stand with all believers in heaven and we will utter those words and other great words of praise to our God. Won't that be a glorious day? You can be seated here in 111. Please be seated. I just, I, just couldn't, I, I just couldn't read that this weekend and not have you involved. And I couldn't have us sitting, and I would have you kneeling, but it'd be a little painful, all right? So we stood, and we praised God together. You know what that's saying to us? It's saying that someday our Lord Jesus Christ is going to wrap history up. And for the very first time in all the universe... We will experience his righteous rule and reign. Imagine what that day is going to be like. There will be no more political debates. Amen. There will be no more political parties and politicians. Amen. There will be no more health care problems because there won't be any health issues. There won't be any more sorrow. There won't be any more tears. There won't be any more hardships. And the Cubs will finally win the World Series. Well, maybe. Somebody told me about a t-shirt. Not on the back of the t-shirt, the front of it. It said, Jesus asked the Cubs to wait until he returned. (laughs) I don't know how spiritual that is. But someday, someday Jesus is going to rule and reign. And it's what we have to look forward to. You know, the world is talking about, you know, people in the world are talking about the end of the world. But for us as believers, listen... We're looking forward to the beginning of a new world. We are a people of hope. No matter how hard the times are, we are a people of hope. All right, here we go. It gets exciting now. You don't want to miss the next several weekends. In fact, next weekend, I'm going to give you uh, a review of the timeline of the, uh, of, the sec- of the second coming of Christ. Where the tribulation fits in, where the rapture fits in, just... Because I need to set us up for where we're going to be going. You won't want to miss that, all right? I did it in Daniel. I'll do it a, a little bit next weekend as well. But right now, our Lord takes the scroll, all right? And it says in chapter 6, verse 1, As I watched the Lamb broke the first seal, the wax seal. He broke that seal. 
And each seal had a specific inscription on it. And as he breaks that first seal, notice what it says. It's a voice like thunder sounds, and it says, come. And in the Greek, that means start coming or be going. Come or be going, be coming. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. And the question is, who is that horseman? All right. Now, I'm an expert at drawing horses. All right. That look like Great Danes. Okay. So here's the first rider comes out on the white horse and has this crown, has many victories. And some Bible teachers say, that's the Lord Jesus, but I totally disagree. I don't think that's the Lord Jesus because he's the one who's opening the seals. And if you look at the other three riders, I don't see Jesus keeping company with the other three riders. So you say, who is that person on that white horse? I can't be absolutely sure, but I agree with scholars who say that it's an imposter. It's a false Messiah. It's a false Christ who goes riding out and gaining victory. And we know that throughout all of history, there have been false messiahs, false Christ, not necessarily religious, perhaps even political, who have promised that they will save the world, who've gone out to create a world empire. And what I think this is doing is it's pointing toward the end. It's pointing toward that ultimate false Christ that's going to show up that the Bible calls the Antichrist. Is he alive? Is he here today? We'll be answering those questions in the upcoming weeks. I think ultimately, though, it points to the Antichrist, who's going to amass all the powers that, it, that he can against God, against the Jewish people, Israel, and against the Christian church. Is the world looking for such a Messiah today? The answer to the question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. You know, while I was in, in, in Brussels, I was reminded that I was, I'm, I was in the city where NATO has its headquarters, where the European Union has its headquarters. In fact, I drove by it and they pointed it out to me. And I, and I thought to myself, it's very possible that NATO and the EU will play right into the Antichrist. Uh, one world movement against God, if I understand Paul and Daniel and, and John the Revelation correctly. In fact, one of our mission partners there knows a man who is fairly high up in preparing all the economic reports for the European Union, and this person happens to be a believer. Can you imagine? And this person told our our partner over there, who conveyed to me, that the world truly, as he sees it with what he has to deal with, the world truly is ready for the Antichrist. In fact, he made, he made this statement. He said, there's only one nation that still needs to come around. And he says, that's China. And he says, once they come around, he said, he said it would be so easy now, given our world situation. You go back to the text here, and you read it again. And it says in verse 3 that he broke a second seal. And when he breaks that second seal... All right, a second rider comes out, and this rider is riding on a horse, and it is a it is a red horse that the rider comes out on. What does that horse represent? That horse represents war. Now there have always been wars. Read it there; it tells you throughout all of history there have always been wars. 
But at the end of the age, at the end of the world, there will be, as I've already mentioned, there will be the ultimate war against God. The ultimate war against his people and against the, the, the believers and against the church. Look what's going on in the Middle East today. It is fascinating. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 36 to 39, we have a scenario in prophecy there where all the nations gather to Israel to fight a battle. Revelation chapter 13 talks about it as well. And right now, what we're watching happening in the Middle East is we're watching the United States bring troops and air carriers there. We're seeing Russia come down into Syria, strengthen its naval port there, and bringing weapons there and standing with Syria. That's predicted in Ezekiel 36 to 39. We see Turkey get involved. That's predicted as well. We see Iran getting involved. That's predicted as well. It is just, somebody's just waiting for the fuse to be lit. Now what is fascinating is, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, Revelation chapter 9 says that the king of the east will come marching in as well. And that probably refers to China. And I just came across a report from a, uh, a, 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 website called Pack Alert, all right? And uh, I wanted to read this to you. It's called An Apocalyptic Report Prepared by Russian Defense Minister Anatoly Serdyukov for President and Supreme Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces Medvedev is warning that the strategic military agreement signed between China and Pakistan, or Pakistan signal that the end game between the East and West over the vital energy resources of the Middle East has now begun. According to Minister Sergeyev, the most vital aspect of this new strategic agreement is the allowing by Pakistan for Chinese military forces to begin the immediate use of the Karakoram Highway, which will allow China's massive ground forces direct access to the Middle East and into direct confrontation with the West. Fascinating. Fascinating, the stuff that's going on in our world right now that most of us who are consumed with pleasure and with materialism in this nation who watch the news to find out what the Kardashians are doing. That's news for us these days. We're just totally missing what is really going on in the world. That's why I'll watch BBC before I'll watch most of the news that you get here in the United States because it's not news, it's just entertainment. It's fascinating how things are lining up and you just see God's hand manipulating the chessboard. Man thinks he's in control, but God is just arranging the pieces, preparing for his will. It is not God who sends the horses. It is God who removes his restraint, restraint little by little so that evil can have its, have its way to bring the course of history to an end. A third horse uh, emerges as well in the text. So grab your Bibles and look at that passage. It says, When the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales. And, you know, I don't have to say a whole lot about that because that's all about the economy. And there's no doubt that we are living in extremely difficult economic times, aren't we? And all the world globally is suffering. And that whole passage speaks about it. And in the end times, it's that global economic suffering that will probably usher in this political savior who will seem to have all the answers. And then the fourth seal is broken. And when the fourth seal is broken and taken off, there comes another rider on the pale horse. 
and this writer is deaf. And this writer comes out, and with this writer is another writer. Hades follows, and they are given authority over a fourth of the earth. That doesn't mean a fourth of the earth dies. It means that a large portion of the earth is influenced by these riders. And there is death and mayhem. We're going to talk more about that next weekend that takes place here on this earth. And so God allows these riders, they've been, I think in a sense, they've been riding all along. But there's coming a day when their ride will be heard loud and fierce and felt. And the end of the world will come as God prepares to bring his judgment on the world. And I can't help but be reminded of the words of Jesus when we read these words in Matthew chapter 24. If you want to turn there with me for a moment. In Matthew chapter 24 which I believe this passage also is referring to in its fulfillment. Jesus was speaking about the end times to his disciples, and I believe to us as well. Listen to what he said beginning in verse 4. Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah. That's the first horse. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of war. Second horse. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. That can also be translated coalition against coalition. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Third horse. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Satan is on full court press. And God, God is overseeing the whole drama. And God is in control, bringing it to its right end. Say, Pastor Dale, what is it so far in Revelation chapter 1 through 4 that we can glean? That we can walk away with. What are our takeaways that that we can just settle on and be encouraged by? And and, and I I want to share several with you as we close out this weekend in preparation for next weekend. Number one, listen. God is in control of where history is going. Amen? You got to understand that, okay? When it all seems chaotic, when it seems like man is winning, when Satan is winning, understand God is in control of where history is going. Number two, believers will face persecution and hardship they always have they do today in many parts of the world but here in our own country we may be getting our first taste number three believers must remain faithful and look beyond the immediate circumstances to the future with christ amen that's that's our hope that is what we are looking forward to number four one day The world is going to experience Christ's righteous rule and reign. Amen? Number five, what we see taking place politically, economically, culturally, and spiritually have been predicted for centuries by God's holy word. None of this catches God by surprise. Therefore, it should not catch any of us by surprise. And sixthly and lastly, The world crisis is not a sign to Christians that the world is going to end. Rather, it is an indicator that a new world is about to begin. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's all stand together. God, I thank you so much for your precious word. 
I thank you that as your son, our Lord Jesus, stated, you would not leave us as orphans, but you have given us the hope and you have given us the truth and you have given us your spirit. And Father, in these days of difficulty, may we not shrink back. May we not hide our witness. But may we boldly stand for Christ who died for us. And God, while so many people are empty, so many people are searching, may we be a lighthouse, conveying your love and conveying your hope. Father, these are terrible days, but they're exciting days. And our prayer and desire is that we would live to see the sun return. Oh God, how we look forward to that day when we will with the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the believers who've gone before us, with all the angels and all the created beings of the universe, when we will all together sing praise and glory and honor to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Lord, hear our praise and worship now. In Jesus' name.